You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Heckfeld. I'm your host. And our guest today is Mark Saluk, and he is president and CEO of Fluber, which is an air taxi service. We're going to find out more about his background as an entrepreneur and about the business and, and where they are in terms of creating uh, new flight services for people, not just elite passengers, but everyone else, all of us, all of us people who are not doing private jets right now. With that, Mark, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bruce. Glad to be here. So, you know, fascinating business. I'm curious and I'm fascinated to kind of figure out how the operation and stuff work and hear about how you've set up this new business model. But why don't we start with a little bit more about you and your background and your entrepreneurial journey and how you kind of got to Fluber. What was what was the backstory? Tell us more. Well, so I uh, my career started about 20 years ago in technology. And uh, I decided in 1996, when Congress deregulated the whole uh, telecom market, the uh-huh. Telecom Act of 96, they introduced competitive local, what they call competitive local exchange carriers to open up competition against the back then New York Telephone Bell Atlantic. Mm-hmm. So I was one of the first to um, jump on that bandwagon and uh, became what is really a public utility in several states across the country. Mm-hmm. And as a result, we became a, what they call today a managed service provider that okay. provides voice and data solutions to businesses. And we went ahead and built out the network. And over 20 years, we've uh, we've built some real strong sophistication into that network and became one of the predominant providers of voice and data services to a small and medium size and in many cases, large businesses. And so over over my career, I've, um, you know, I've, I've built a, a a very interesting operation that had many different facets to it um, from a, logis- a logistical perspective. Uh-huh. And, you know, we had a great team, which is which is a very important factor in building any business. Yeah. And uh, that's brought me to fast forward 20 years, being able to exit and sell off the company I built to a publicly held, $2 billion publicly held company. Yeah. And, Good for you. Yep. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Very exciting. Very um very educational. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> There's probably a whole nother episode we could do on that exit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, through the ups and downs, you, you learn a lot in business. Yeah. Um, you learn a lot on the personal side and on the uh, people side and on the business side. And so, you know, I've, I've always had a passion for aviation. And, you know, as, as a pilot, uh-huh. my passion was really, you know, really for the hobby itself. But then I knew when I exited, I wanted to do something that relates to my passion, something that would excite me waking up in the morning. We all want to wake up and and go do, you know, go to work and do something that we love. Yeah. And so to me, the the challenge was how do I, you know, how do I use my visionary um, skills to build a business that's sexy, that makes sense 
and that has a need in the marketplace. And so, you know, I, I, I actually, you know, I spent time, you know, meeting with the um, FCC and, and flying oftentimes yeah. from regional flights, New York, Boston, New York, D.C., by way of example. Mm-hmm. And I found that there was really no alternative to commercial aviation. And for an 11 o'clock meeting, I used to have to, uh, 11 o'clock morning meeting, I used to have to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning, get to the airport for an 8 o'clock flight, two hours in advance, and go through all the absurdity and the nonsense that we're all very used to and quite quite frankly frustrated with. And there was really no alternative outside of flying the cost prohibitive, quote unquote, private jet uh, type, you know, type arrangement. And so... I build a parallel to a ride-sharing service like the Ubers and Lyfts of the world. And you see when, you know, back 10 years ago when you used to walk the streets of Manhattan, you used to see these black cars lined up to pick up, you know, executives and C-level type personnel. And it was really catering to the upper echelon of the marketplace. Yeah. So you have these ride-sharing companies that came in and said, hey, we're going to make it stylish we're going to make we're going to build an app to make it really easy and we're going to make it affordable for everyone why does it have to be just for the sea level guys or for you know for wealthy people why mm-hmm. can't it for everyone and i build a parallel to this industry because as i said there's no alternative to the commercial you know to find commercial today yeah uh, outside of of you know some of these other companies that pick you up in bentley and rolls royces and bring you these fancy aircrafts and so i said to myself there's got to be a similar model here like the ride-sharing apps, that we can really make it for everyone. And so after my exit, I I did a lot of research, and I found that um, there was a way to really build something different. And really, as I said, I built a parallel to it because I used the same model. Build Mm -hmm. an app, make it economical and stylish and without the frustration. And so Fluber was born. And basically what it is is our, our objective is to, through an app, have a consumer uh, download it, book a flight within under a minute, and on demand. So you, a day a day before, two hours before, or a month before, and be able to have a car pick you up from your uh, from your origination, bring you to the field, and uh, 15 minutes before the flight, board and you know get a, a newspaper, a latte, some M and M's. Get on an aircraft and be at your destination within forty-five minutes. And are these uh, these are solo? Like I'm the only passenger, or you can pick up multiple passengers, or how do you deal with the capacity? Right. So they're scheduled flights. So we have, um, you know, as as a broker. So Fluber is our broker, and then we have an exclusive air operator. Okay. That I'll talk a little more about. Uh, you know, logistically putting this whole business together was yeah. challenging, only because you can't just you know buy an aircraft and you know, <laughs> hire a pilot and just say, hey, fly these folks out to where they need to be. There are actually licenses associated with it, and to get into the business, you can't just apply for a license. It takes many years, and yeah. there are skill sets that are required. So the next best thing for me was to buy a company, and that's exactly what I did. I bought a company that was already in existence that mm. had the aircrafts, and. I kind of married the broker and the operator together and said, hey, we can make this work and create an alternative to airlines and yeah. make it less frustrating. And, and, you know, we actually that's what we're going to be doing. And so our price point, you know, there are no annual fees. Our price points are going to be six hundred dollars around. So it's seven hundred dollars. But you get an instant hundred dollar rebate if you book your terrestrial travel to the airport with us through our app. Got it. And so it's $600 round trip in all of our scheduled markets. We'll be launching with New York, Boston, New York, Atlantic City, and immediately uh, deploying to Philly and D.C. within this region. And our 
two-year plan basically is to take that model and, and replicate it. We want to build like a cookie-cutter model and replicate it in, in different parts of the sure. country, specifically Florida, Texas, California, Washington State, and Illinois is where we plan on, on um, expanding to. Yeah. Where were you a couple of years ago? Because I had I, I had an office in Boston and I was there every other week, <laughs> either on the train or on, uh, you know, trying to fly commercial aircraft. So unfortunately, you're, you're about six years too late for me. <laughs> but yeah, I totally get it. I'll tell you where I was. I was at the airport taking off <laughs> my belt and dropping my pants. <laughs> I, was, I was in the line next to you. Yeah. yeah. No, but we're, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a neat idea that the, the business model works out very well. I actually, I'm funding the company, and for me, I had to, you know, yeah. as an investor and as the operator, I had to prove to myself that it actually was viable. And so, not only, you know, that I have to build a model, but I also had to make sure that it, it, it made sense. Yeah. And so, you know, look, it's, it's a breath of fresh air in this industry. It's a sexy model. You know, a lot of people are looking for this alternative, but they're looking for it in, in, in a reasonable way where they don't have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to, you know, get on a private aircraft and, and you know, get to where you need to be. And we make that comfortable. We give that business class type scenario to really everyone. And yeah. So there are 15,000 people a day from the tri-state area that, that travel to regional cities like Boston and D.C. And, you know, why can't it be for them? And that's exactly where we want to go with this. We want to make it for everyone. Yeah. No. And then that market has been so polarized. I mean, either, either you're the, you know, you're going off to Marine Terminal at LGA to, you know, catch the, the shuttle, the Delta shuttle or something, or you're, you know, thousands of dollars for, uh, you know, a, a, a private jet. I mean, even some of these other private jet service, you know, net jets and things like that, they're still, I mean, they're, they're not cheap, right? So yeah, it seems like there's been this big gap in the middle of the market, you know, that you're trying to hit. So I'm curious, well, sort of a couple of questions. One, how much do you feel like your experience in dealing with the FCC on the, on the sort of telephone side and the broadcast side, you know, how much, how much experience or knowledge or familiarity from that were you able to transfer in terms of dealing with the FAA, you know, another three, three letter <laughs> acronym government agency in terms of dealing with like regulation and navigating those things. I mean, it did the experience you had before set you up to be able to handle that better or navigate that, you know, better or faster? From an organizational perspective, it did, but the FAA is a completely different animal from the yeah. FCC. Yeah. A wise man once told me that, uh, and he showed me actually some of the rules and guidelines that are, written in some of the um, regulations under the FAA, and he asked me what color the ink was. And I'm looking at that piece of paper, and I said, it's black. And he says, well, look closer. What color is the ink? And I said, well, it's black. He goes, no, it's red. Everything written in these regulations oh, yeah. is written in blood. And so, yeah. you know, I, I don't mean to be, you know, I don't mean to dramatize it here, but it's, it's, it, they mean business. And everything that they do is, is serious. Yeah. And, you know, we, we take it very seriously. And so part of the challenge is, you know, even though I come from a from a strong business background and I've had a little bit of success, they don't just you know, the FAA just doesn't allow someone to come in and say, hey, you've got a good business background. We're going to allow you to operate a, a charter yeah. company that I acquired actually had the, the skill set within the organization. And so I you know, that that basically transferred over in the acquisition and those folks remain. Yeah. So all of these skill sets that are required, whether, you know, it's a director of operations who's responsible for all of the rule sets under those, the FAA guidelines or director of maintenance, mm -hmm. who's responsible for the mechanical. And, and then you have your chief pilot who's responsible for the all flight operations, charter managers who are responsible for logistical flights as they happen. Yeah. Day in, day out. So all these 
you know, all these um, folks and all these skill sets, we, you know, we, we basically inherited from the acquisition. Part of building a venture or a, a partnership between the broker and the operator, which is essentially owned by the same company at this point, mm-hmm. it still remains two independent companies. So from a business perspective, having it work operationally and building a system and a platform so that you don't swivel chair between systems, yeah. that's where the skill set and the other side of the and the other side of the business house plays a factor. Yeah. And so, you know, having them having, for example, you know, it's one thing to build an app with a consumer facing product. It's another thing to have the back end of the app be able to scale enough to to support all the you know logistical things that happen from an operational perspective, and that's where my you know my CIO comes in, my former operations people that have followed me into this venture. Mm-hmm. That's where that helps. Yeah, and so you know we we kind of seen this movie before coming from a regulated utility. You know we're going from one as as you said we're going from one acronym body <laughs> yeah. to another, but the, the skill set and the organizational you know know how is essentially the same. And so we've got to be very organized, very meticulous, very methodical. And, you know, it's, it's keeping it together and pulling the trigger to make sure that you scale properly and you operate properly. Yeah. I'm curious, just because you, you had a successful exit and now you're looking at the, you know, a new business or, you know, working on a new venture. What, what other learnings or insights or, or things have you consciously decided to do differently <laughs> or do the same in terms of these two businesses? I guess how transferable has your knowledge experience been between the two, between the two efforts? Well, I realized that um, in the aviation industry, uh, people are very temperamental, obviously, because of the um, the type of pressure that everyone's mm-hmm. under to follow these regulations. And so having dealt with people in the past and, and understanding emotions and feelings and pressure, I think that played a big factor. I could tell you definitively that it, it played a big factor in getting this, this whole um, organization together and this mm-hmm. whole sort of, you know, how does one department communicate with another department without stepping on their toes? So yep. the experience from that perspective has, has helped out a lot. And believe me when I tell you, there are a lot of moving pieces here. together. It's very, very challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And I know for our audience, uh, you are actually in your hangar <laughs> right now. You're in the office, but you're in the hangar on site. I mean, I guess how much did you expect that this new venture would be really hands-on and and actually with the aircraft in you know working from a hangar i mean i guess what was your vision when you originally kind of ventured on this and how has that been the same or different from how things are playing out for you well for me it's a dream i mean i I love aircraft i love flying and so having an office in the hangar actually worked out for me i get my view you know some people like water views some people like city views (laughs) i love aircraft views yeah (laughs) so for me it worked out very well and um you know, initially it wasn't it wasn't intentional, but uh, the office was was available, and I decided, hey, why not? And so we've, um, you know, our, our aircrafts are actually going to be parked right outside our office, which is also a uh, an added benefit. Yeah. So you are funding this yourself. How does that factor into things, or how does that change the dynamics? And I guess was that a conscious decision for you in terms of doing this yourself versus raising money? Tell us a little bit more about that, because I think that's an interesting dynamic for a company when it's funded by, you know, a key entrepreneur. Right. So, you know, through my experience, I learned that um, proving out the model first and retaining as much equity as possible ultimately works out much better in the long run. And because I had the capability to do it, I thought it made sense to first build, you know, have the building blocks in place, you know, sort of build a foundation and then capture revenue and then ultimately 
there's no question that we're going to have to raise revenue. But that you know, once once the platform is there and the foundation is built, uh, there's a lot more value to it. And because I was basically at the right place at the right time, and mm-hmm. enjoy rolling up my sleeves because that's the type of guy that I am. I, I I like you know, if I move into an office, I'm going to put the desks together myself, and I'll also have meetings with um, with the bankers that I need to to get the you know some, mm-hmm. some, you know whatever 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 we need to get rolling, we'll get rolling. So I. I that includes rolling up my sleeves. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I think that's, that's an interesting situation. I've talked to a few different entrepreneurs who, you know, have had good exits, they've got, you know, significant capital that can deploy into a new venture and kind of that decision to self-finance for a kind of a longer period of time than maybe other companies would or would be able to is interesting. I mean, because it does, it keeps you very focused on the business. I think a lot of folks get so wrapped up in and, and consumed with raising capital early in a business that is tough, you know, that a that, lot of that, founders are struggle with that. And that's what happens. You know, once you raise capital, you have a fiduciary responsibility to the investors. Yeah. And so oftentimes that could take away from your focus on a day-to-day business. And where my focus needs to be right now is executing on this plan. We have a business plan. Yeah. We have a model and we have to execute. And every step of the way, that execution, especially in this sector, which is, you know, every step you take is critical. It's got to be precision at its best. And yeah. so that that's where I am right now. And, I, you know, for me to go out and raise money is not too complicated. I have I have the ability to do that. I have for my previous yeah. career, I have, you know, I have, I, have good, I have a pretty good following. So, I, you know, my, my focus needs to be right now in executing this plan right as opposed to having quarterly meeting with investors and sort of getting some you know guidelines from them as to how to operate and how to how to pivot. Yeah. So, again, if you have the ability to do that, it's it's preferable. But oftentimes you'll find that, you know, especially in a cash intensive business like this, this business, yeah. sometimes it can be. But at, at some point we will be there and yeah. we'll go out and raise money, but it's got to be at the right place at the right time. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, I mean, I certainly if you can push the, the raise until later, later in the proving of the model, you know, it just means that your valuation is going to be much better. You're going to have to give up less equity as, as part of that raise. And where do you think, like, when, the, when, does, when does that really happen for you? Is this a, at a scaling point? Like once you prove the business model and you're focused on scaling the business, like going to new geographies, expanding your number of aircraft you have? I mean, what's, what's the trigger for you in terms of the next stage of capitalization? So we need to prove that we can operate. We need to prove that we can get revenue and we need to prove that we're profitable. And then we need to prove that we can expand and replicate that model. I think once we achieve those four parameters, we'll be in a very strong position to command a better valuation. And so, you know, once, once you've done something and you have a track record behind you, from the actual operation itself, not just from your previous careers or previous, you know, adventures. Once I achieve or we achieve as a company those four parameters, I think that's what we'll be. And I think we'll be there within a year. Yeah. Well, wow. good. And tell us about how kind of things have developed, like anything anything interesting that you've learned as you've kind of built the initial model and you've kind of gone to put pieces in place. You know, you did the acquisition. What are some of your takeaways or learnings? In terms of going through this process, having been through it before as an entrepreneur, but now in this model, what are what are some of the insights you've developed? If you think it's going to take a certain amount of time, it's just like building a house. <laughs> double it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let that fool you. Budget this budget double the time. Yeah. So look, it, it takes it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. You know, it's a government agency. The FAA is a government agency, and yeah. it's 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 bureaucratic like anything else. And there's there are processes, and they take a lot of time, and rightfully so. And I, I actually I actually enjoy the challenge, and I, I I appreciate the fact that it takes this much time because 
you know, when people board an aircraft, they know that they're going to feel safe and they feel comfortable. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, my takeaways are from what I've experienced so far is, you know, you have to be very organized. You have to be, you have to prepare to execute and you really have to be prepared for delays. Yeah. And, and while I, I did prepare for delays, you know, we did have, obviously, you know, we, we were supposed to launch a bit earlier, but, you know, we're, uh, we're not under the gun here. So we're not, we're not in a rush to do anything and you know, we want to do it right. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, it's interesting dealing with a business that has, you know, this, uh, you know, safety, life safety component to it. The whole kind of risk calculation becomes quite different. You know, you it's not like building a app and delivering food and, you know, something goes wrong. Someone doesn't get their pizza in time. You know, it's a very different kind of risk model and a risk risk context that you're dealing with. How I mean, I guess, how do you deal with that? Or I guess, how does that affect things, you know, going from you know, kind of telephony and, and information services or, or connectivity services, you know, where, I mean, yes, you know, that it's a big deal and, and business operations can be dramatically affected by loss of connectivity and stuff versus, uh, you know, aircraft and life safety issues. I, I guess, tell me a little bit about the difference, how you've kind of adjusted to this this new world. Right. So as I said, there, there are two entities here. One is the entity, which is the operator that I acquired, and the other is the broker, which is Fluber. And even though they are owned by the same company, there are two independent companies. So the operator is actually, you know, has has a has a workforce specifically Got it. for the operate for operating the flights themselves. So the skill set, so the, the FAA actually regulates that company as opposed to the broker. So the skill set that was there, the pilots that were there, the operators that were there, the charter managers that were there, they remain with it. They, they've been operating for 10 plus years. In yeah. fact, some, you know, collectively they have over 70 years of experience. Yeah. In that in the chartering business. And how so, so you separate it so they're you're organizationally have separated them. I guess like have you physically separated them, culturally separated them? Like how do you uh, how do you make sure that you don't infect one organization with the other? Like keep one organization, you know, kind of driving and iterative and let's develop new applications and drive the technology versus the other one is look, look, we're running uh, you know, a, a flight services, a, a, an aircraft company that needs certain a certain culture even that's different from from that. Yeah, I mean they they are two separate yeah. companies. They operate independently. And yeah. even though they're in the same office, the culture is the culture. That's top down. And you know, being organized and, and having things done the right way, that's you know, that's again top down. Yeah. But I mean they're physically separate companies and have separate responsibilities. For example, Fluber is running the development of the app and, mm-hmm. and coming up with the schedules and coming up with all the marketing and the and the management of, of the actual, you know, launch of the of, of the service itself. Uh-huh. The charter operator specifically manages the mechanical safety and chartering of the flights and the actual operating the actual flights. So that the folks that are within that organization actually conform to the all these different safety yeah. and, and, and security requirements that, that are mandated. You know, there, there are manuals that are what we call operational specs. Mm-hmm. There are manuals and manuals that are that are specific to the operator itself that are very tedious in terms of what they've been through to uh, get those manuals together. Yeah, I'm sure. And so, you know, it, it's very similar to an airline just because it's an air taxi company. So there mm-hmm. are three types of licenses in this business. There's a 121, which is your typical airline, your 91, which is your NetJets type company where you have a fractional ownership in the plane. And then there's a 135, which is an on-demand air taxi. Okay. And the 135 and the 121 are the most rigid in terms of regulations and safety and mechanical requirements. 
So we fall under that spec. And so when you get on JetBlue flight, it's pretty much the same requirements from getting on a, a um, you know, a chartered flight yeah. or a 135 flight. Yeah. So uh, let's geek out on the uh, on the aircraft a little bit. So what are you? So tell us about the the aircraft. Why you've chosen the planes that you have. Tell us a little bit about that process. So the, the, the actual aircrafts that we inherited from the acquisition are we've, we've kept. They're mm-hmm. um, really nice aircrafts. They're, they're Cadillacs of the uh, aviation industry. And they seat six on the passenger side with, with two crews. All of our aircrafts are flown by a pilot, a captain, and a first officer. Mm-hmm. And then we have our jets, which are eight plus two. So we have a combination of props and jets. Okay. Our jets are a little bigger. They, they, um, they fly eight, pla- eight passengers plus two crew. Both are same configuration inside, same type of comfort. Our jets are a little faster than a prop, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of our missions are un- an hour and under. Okay. And they, they all have a business type, business class type environment. So, you know, club seating, mm-hmm. tables, and uh, just a, a nice a nice level of comfort. Yeah. And walk us through the experience of um, if, I'm, uh, if I purchase a flight, how does the experience work for a customer? So it's really simple. It's almost, I, I wanted to make it almost like an, a ride sharing um, app. Mm-hmm. So you download the app, you sign up takes under a minute and a couple icons come up you book a flight choose your origination city your destination city the f- scheduled flights pop up select your flights determine whether you want to take the rebate for booking your your ground travel through the app mm-hmm. once you do that and you do select it you get an instant rebate you check out enter your credit card and boom you're booked and then how yes yeah, so don't walk me through the experience of actually taking right. the flight so, right, right so once you get your booking um, depending on uh, the timing, you get an alert, a notification on your on your app, on your phone. Mm-hmm. That tells you that the time has come for you to book your um, your your ground transportation. Mm-hmm. All through our app, seamless. You go ahead into the uh, ride sharing portion of the um, of the um, process, mm-hmm. and you book your car. Car picks you up an hour before the flight, gets you to the field or to the airport 15 minutes prior to departure. Uh, once you arrive at the field, you go through a small security protocol that we have in place here. Uh, you have a newspaper, a latte, a couple snacks, board the plane, and within 45 minutes, you're at your destination. Disembark and get your ride out to you know wherever your your um, meeting is or mm-hmm. you know wherever your your ultimate destination is. And then uh, on the way back, you have a car again through our app that uh, brings you back to the field, hop on a plane, and you're back home. Got it. And then 15 minutes before, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Sounds too good to be true. <laughs> It, it, it's actually it's unbelievable. It's uh, that that's the whole premise of our plan here. And yeah. I think it, I think it's going to allow for people to have a different perspective in, in, in how to travel from you know in, for aviation and, and and how to travel in general with uh, with airlines and airplanes. Yeah. And so uh, you know I think I think it's a breath of fresh air. I think it's something different, and I think it's something that. The rest of us folks are going to want to, you know, hop on the bandwagon with. Yeah. So you you mentioned the security element. Yeah, well, and by the way, we have yeah. a couple of different things on the horizon. I, I just want to mention. Sure. I want to mention in here since we have. Um, I'm assuming we have a great audience here. Yeah. Uh, but we have different uh, unique products that are coming out. We have what's called a FluWorks product. I'm sure you're familiar with a company called WeWorks. Yeah. Um, so our FluWorks product is basically going to be able to take advantage of conference rooms we have at the flight businesses offices at the airport, where our departures and um, and our um, where our actual departures happen. So you'll uh-huh. be able to take advantage of spaces we have there. 
And then we also have our Fluber Lux product, which is going to be more of like a premium type ride. Okay. And that those will be longer distances and more luxurious type services. So you know, these are things that are on horizon as as we expand, and um, we're excited about them. Yeah. So, and, and you mentioned security in this. Like, how do you deal with the security issues? Because obviously, you know, you know, airline, the whole air travel thing has been, you know, so impacted by security concerns. How do you address it in this in this model? I can't tell you. <laughs> it's all secret. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the point, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. But it, but there is there. It's there. You take, you take, take care of security. You take security yeah. very seriously. Once a passenger gets to the airport, you know, we're we're. Um, we're big on certain things that, um, you know, for example, we profile uh-huh. definitely, um, you know, we do things similar to LL's approach to security. Okay. Um, and so we have, you know, we have our own, uh, security protocols in place here that are, that are rigorous and that, uh, and that are different. Yeah. Good. Good. I, I think we need a, a new approach to security, air, airline, air traffic security. You know, it's it's such a. Uh, you mean you don't you don't you mean you don't feel comfortable with the guy asking you to take off your shoes either? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. That's that's a whole industry that's ripe for disruption. So hopefully you're the beginning of this. So tell us a little bit about your like your day to day. I mean, you're you're an exited entrepreneur, so you know you're you're in the throes of a new venture. How do you how do you kind of keep things balanced? How do you keep things fun? How do you you know how do you manage uh, yourself as you're kind of going back into the thick of starting a new company? I do am doing what I love. I can't wait to wake up in the morning and get out of bed and go to work. I have a hard time leaving the office because I love what I do so much. But family is also very important. And so, you know, I make a lot of time for my kids, for my family, um, which I think is, you know, is is important. And then that's, that's a message that I've always kept in, in all my organizations that family family is always first yeah but um you know i love what i do i love waking up in the morning and then you know hang out to the airport in the wee hours in the morning it's a, it's a great great place for me to be because i love it so much but you know i the, the work that revolves around it it drives me to perfection yeah and so um you know i think those are I think that's what everyone's goal should be to strive for. So yeah, no, I think it's always you know I think being highly engaged and you know in everything that you do, both business and family, I think is ultimately the the goal on this stuff, and that keeps people you know keeps people balanced, keep people's energy levels high, keeps their productivity high. So good for you, Mark. Uh, if people want to find out more about Fluber and and the other services and the work that you're doing, what's the best way to get that information? Well, you can follow us on social media at Fluber on Facebook at Fluber on Instagram and at FlyFluber on Twitter and at Fluber on LinkedIn. And our website is www.fluber.com. And within the next couple of weeks, folks will be able to download our app. And we look forward to a successful trip on this. Awesome. I'll make sure that all of those links and handles are in the show notes here so people can click through. I am looking forward to it. I'm in Boston, D.C. Uh, on a fairly regular basis. So uh, as soon as you're released, let me know and I will take a flight and I will I'll report on it. <laughs> so, we'll do that, Bruce. Thank you so much for having me. This you. has been great. Thank you for the time. Thank you. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.